Deuteronomy chapter number 32 and verse 4. The word of God reads, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to open your word, Lord, and your word is all important. It should have the preeminence in our service this morning, for you are the word. Lord, we love to sing your praises. We love to pray to you. But Lord, it's most important that we hear from you. And when your word is opened, it is a holy word. It's an inspired word. It's an authoritative word. It's a sufficient word. It's a perfect word. And Lord, you are indeed perfect and your work is perfect. You are our rock and we thank you for that. And Lord, as we gather here this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit would move amongst us and your presence would be felt, Lord. That your spirit would challenge and convict, uplift, comfort, whatever we need this morning. Lord, will you meet us at our point of need? I ask that you would use me, that you would give me strength from on high, Lord, that you would help me. Lord, I want to be your vessel this morning. I want to say the things that you would have said. And Lord, I don't want to say the things that you wouldn't have said. So would you lead me and guide me in this, Lord? And again, move amongst us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for what we've sung even this morning, that all we have is Christ. And Lord, in having you, we have everything above and beyond we could ever, ever imagine or expect. We thank you that you are the perfect God with the perfect love and the perfect work. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a story about some perfect people. There was a perfect man who met a perfect woman. And the perfect man and the perfect woman had a perfect courtship. And they went on to have the perfect wedding in their life together was, of course, perfect. Then one stormy winter night, Christmas Eve, they were driving to be with family. And it was stormy, it was snowy, it was bad conditions, there was ice on the roads. And as they were driving along, they seen uh, this figure at the side who happened to be waving, looked like he'd maybe broken down or something. And they pulled uh, alongside and asked this man if he needed help, and he said he did. And they looked at him and said he looked rather strange. He was dressed up in a red outfit, and he had a a red hat and a big white beard, and he had a big uh, sack on his back full of presents. And the perfect couple said, well, this must be Santa Claus. And they said, what's happened, Santa? He said, well, I've broken down and I need a lift because we want the kids to get their toys for Christmas. So the perfect man and the perfect woman, because they were perfect, they offered a lift to Santa, got him in the car, and off they went. And and terrible tragedy happened. Ooh. Terrible, terrible tragedy. 
The car veered off the road in the snowy conditions and it crashed. And so horrific was the crash that there was only one of the three that survived. And the question is, who was the survivor? Was it the perfect man? Was it the perfect woman? Or was it Santa Claus? The answer, the perfect woman. Because we know the perfect man doesn't exist. Right, ladies? <laughs> isn't that right? Yes. And we know Santa Claus isn't real, don't we? Are we sure? Yeah, Mick? Has anybody told you he's not real? <laughs> so that just leaves the perfect woman. But all the men say, if the woman was the only survivor, that probably means that she was the one driving and she caused the accident in the first place. Anyway. But we don't want to talk about the perfect man. We don't want to talk about the perfect woman this morning because they don't exist. In reality, none of us are perfect. Not one of us is uh, perfect this morning. Not one of us is perfect. Bartosz, you can leave that. That's all right. I'll do, I'll do it from up here. It's all right. I'll change the slides. Not one of us is perfect, but we are reading this morning about our perfect God. And it says here in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse number 4, He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So we want to think about our perfect Savior this morning. We want to think about our perfect God. And as we said, no perfect people there's some people that think they're perfect, but the reality is none of us are perfect. None of us could ever achieve perfectness in terms of how God sets that standard. And our, our portion of Scripture this morning, I said it's only one verse, but it comes from a song, a song of Moses. And I'm sure that this is a song that you sing quite regularly when you're in the shower or, or you're driving along in your car and you, you know, you're a little bit bored and you want to sing something, the song of Moses from Deuteronomy 32. Is you sing it, don't you? I can tell, I can tell by just how you're just thinking about all those drives and singing the song of Moses. Uh, no, not really. It's not a song that we sing. It's not a chart topper, that's for sure. Now, Moses was a singing man in his uh, entry into the wilderness he sings a song. It's Well, it's him and, and Miriam, really, that sing it. That's in Exodus 15. As they enter into the wilderness, they sing a song. Um, but here, as at, when we get towards the, the death of Moses, he sings another song. And this is solely a song of Moses. You'll find this in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, all the way down there to verse 40, 43. And he sings this song. And, and like I said, it's not really a, a chart topper. Let's look at verse 14 portion of this song, butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat and now to drink the pure blood of the grape. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it, as a, as a song? I don't think in today's politically correct world that would ever get anywhere near the top ten. Um, and so, you know, we, 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 we may get to the point where we don't sing this and we ha we're not, uh, um, oh, we're having, we're having some uh, IT issues there. Not quite sure what's going on back there. Uh, anyway, um, so, we, we, you know, it's not something that, that we sing today. That's, that's the point we're making 
in, in the song. Not something we sing today, but it will be a song that we will sing. It will be a song that we will sing. So get used to those words. Go home, have a look at it tonight in your quiet time and sing it out because you will be singing it. If you're here this morning, you're born again, you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, you will sing this song again. Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 15, please. Revelation chapter number 15, verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter number 15, verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, over his image, over the mark, over the number of his name, standing on the, stand on the sea of glass having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thy King of saints. So here we have this scene in heaven. We have this scene of those that are saved, um, the saints, as it were. And verse 3 tells us they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. As I've said, Moses has two songs in Scripture. The one in Exodus 15 is really the song of uh, Moses and Miriam. But the one that we've read from our, our verse in Deuteronomy 32 is the song solely of Moses. And this is a song, I believe, that's going to be sung in heaven. And guess what? If you're saved, if you're under the blood, you're going to be in heaven and you're going to be singing this song. And you say, well, I'm not a singer. My voice isn't much. And that might be true. <laughs> but in heaven, everybody's voice will be perfect. It will be perfect. You say, I can't hit a note. When you're in heaven, you won't be able to not hit the note. How good is that? How good is that? You're going to be singing the song of Moses. And look at the words, Great and marvelous are thy works. This song is about praising and honoring the Lord because his work is perfect. He is perfect. So the question is, if we have a perfect God and we serve a perfect God and his work is perfect as we've read in, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 4, what does that mean for us today? How does this apply to us? How can we relate this great truth that his work is indeed perfect to each and every one of us that sits here and gathers here under this word because the word of God is a living word it's not like anything else it's not just a pen on paper and you know people people you know in, in Islam you know the the Quran is is revered and you know they put it in the highest places because the book let me tell you see this here that's just paper and that's just ink there's no power in the paper and in the ink it's the Word is living and it's authoritative and it's life 
changing. So how does it change our lives? That's the point. Not some dusty book to be taken off the shelf and just read like it's a a historical religious record. No, no, this is a living, breathing word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's what we're told in the New Testament. The word inspiration is theonoustos in the Greek. It means God breathed. It's literally the breath of God. So when you speak, it's all it is is your breath being formed by your vocal cords. How amazing is that really? Just think about that for one minute. It is amazing that you know, I'm able to do this because my lungs are pushing out air. And that air is being formed by my vocal cords into words that you can hear and you can understand. I mean, what, what, a, what an amazing design. Nonsense it is to say that that just formed itself. It's absolute madness. Where did the information for that come? It's design. It's design. And, and Scripture is literally the breath of God. And God is eternal. For his word is eternal. And it's life-changing. And it should be life-changing. So how does it change our lives? What's the application that we can take where we we look at uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, where it says, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Well, I think when we look at this this morning, there's three areas of application or three categories we can look into. First of all, we can see uh, the application of his perfect work in the life of the believer. We're going to see that. We can see uh, the application of his perfect work in the life of the unbeliever. And then we're going to see the application of his perfect work in the life of the church. And I think we can see these three things simply from the verse alone. So let's look at it this morning and have our first thought. What about the, the believer? Well, here we have the perfect work of salvation. It says in verse 4, He is the rock, his work is perfect. Further down, so I want to take that little phrase, He is the rock. Because further down in the Song of Moses, let's go to verse 15. Verse 15 says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. They are waxing fat. They are grown thick. They are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. That's a term that you're going to see repeated through Scripture in the Old Testament. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. You got your Bibles. You can do a little bit of flicking this morning. 2 Samuel, chapter number 22, verse 47. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. Psalm 62, verses 6 to 7. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 89, 
Verse 26, He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Jesus is indeed the rock of our salvation. He is a sure and eternal refuge, the foundation on which rests the hope of heaven. And that is the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of the believer when it comes to our salvation. Because our salvation was not a work that was done by us. If it was a work that was done by us, guess what? It could never be perfect. It would always be flawed. Because we are flawed. We are fallible. We are sinful human beings. We are not capable of perfection. We were not capable of doing what needed to be done. It was a work that could only be done by him and him alone. And it was a work that was given to Christ and Christ alone. John chapter 17, verse 4. Turn there with me, please. John 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. This is the Lord. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What was the work? It was the work of redemption. It was the work that makes our salvation possible. It was the work that was mandated before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all them that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life slain from the foundation of the world. It was a foretold work. And it was a finished work. It was a finished work. John chapter 19 verse 30. Jesus came and he finished the work that he was given to do. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So it was a foretold work, but it was also a finished work. It was a completed work. I'm sure, I'm sure I've told you this story before um, about an old work boss that I used to have. And she used to do this thing where she, on her, on her office desk, she would have a dictionary with a couple, couple of little post-its in, in, in the dictionary. And the post-its were at the words complete and the words finished. And whenever she would bring somebody in, some member of staff, and ask them had they done something, um, they would say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's done, it's finished. And then, knowing usually that it wasn't complete properly, it hadn't been done, she would then ask them to lift the dictionary and pick one of the two tabs, and they would pick it, and she would ask them to read the definition of finished. Because <laughs> for it to be finished, it has to be done, right? It has to be done. For it to be complete, it has to be finished, it has to be done. And Christ's mission, as it were, was a finished work. It was a done work. It was complete. There was nothing that needed to be 
added to it. There's nothing that needs to be taken away from it. There's nothing that needs to be altered about it. When Christ came, He did it. He cried from the cross, it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. That word in the Greek is tetelestia. It means paid in full, complete, done, finished. Nothing to add. Nothing to take away. Why is it important to say this? Because there are many today that want to take away from Christ's work or they want to add to Christ's work. What I mean by that, they want to say when Christ said it is finished, he didn't actually mean it is finished. The, the one who created all things, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Why is that said? Because all knowledge is contained within the alphabet. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is all-powerful. And he said it is finished. He knew what the definition of finished was. Complete done. But there's people that want to come along today and say, no, 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 no. You need to do something else to support that work. Christ showed the way, but you have to do to achieve your place with God. You've got to earn favor with him. You've got to work for what he's going to give you. Saturdays, we've got the Jehovah's Witnesses out. I think they're out every week now. When I get, I'm now a Miltonite, so now this is my patch. So now I'm going to go and discuss with them and, and tell them that, that what they're doing is trying to add a work to what Christ did. They're saying that Christ's a liar. That when Christ said it's finished, he didn't really mean it. When he said it's finished, he means it's finished for me, but it's just begun for you. No, 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 no. No. Christ's work was perfect. It was a finished work. Like I said, that word tetelestia in, in the Greek, um, it means to bring something to a successful end or a destined goal. It, it's not just I've done something, but it's I've finished it. I've completed it. It's completely done. There's no more doing to be done in it. It's a word of finality. Christ's work was a foretold work. It was a finished work, but it was a final work. In the ancient Roman system, when a prisoner was thrown into jail, they would have a certificate of debt. And what would happen was when they were thrown into jail, the certificate of debt would have all their crimes listed on there and uh, put on their cell door. So anybody that was passing by, anybody that was in the cells could see a list of the crimes that the person had been indicted for, put in jail for. When the prisoner had served his sentence, when he had, had done his time, as, he, as, he, as it were, this uh, certificate of debt was taken down from the door and the person or the judge that had put that prisoner in prison would take that certificate of debt and he would write at the bottom in, 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 in uh, tetelestia, meaning paid in full. And what would happen then is that that prisoner 
could go free, and whenever they were challenged, somebody would say, aren't you that person that did such and such? They had to prove that they had served their time. They would pull out the certificate of debt, and they would see what the name sign of the judge or, or, or the prisoner officer who had put them in jail, and they would see the words at the bottom, TLSDA, paid in full. And they knew that that person had served their time. They were free from all the crimes that had been put to their account because they had done their time. They could not be charged again for the same crime, double jeopardy. They were completely free and they pulled out their certificate of debt to all those who would try and make them pay twice for the crimes that they had committed. If you're a believer here this morning, the perfect work of salvation in your life is that the Lord Jesus Christ in his blood has written his name at your, the bottom of your certificate of debt and he has said paid in full and when he paid it in full it was for every sin you have committed you are committing and you will commit because God is all knowing God is outside of time he's not waiting for you to do what you're about to do he has seen what you have done he has paid for it all and he has written a if you have accepted him as your saviour, paid in full. So when somebody comes along and tries to tell you that you can lose your salvation, when somebody comes along and tries to tell you you have to do more to earn that, when somebody tries to say, oh, you, you're a sinner, you did this, therefore you lose your salvation, you want to hold up that certificate, the word of God that says paid in full. Jesus Christ came, he did it, it's done once for all forever. That's the perfect work of salvation in the life of the believer. What about the unbeliever? Well, let's have a look at the perfect work of separation. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is a rock. His work is perfect. That's the perfect work of salvation. For all his ways are judgment. That's the perfect work of separation. And, and this is perfect judgment. This is pure judgment. This is judgment without bias. And that doesn't exist in this world in any human form. There is no judgment without some form of bias. Even though the greatest judges of the land are influenced by their biases. You can see that in the justice system. You'll see it. You know, you know I'm not an expert in it. There's, there's others here that can tell you a little bit more. But sometimes, do you ever see that, you know, sometimes... People, you have to operate within the law, obviously, but the law can be quite uh, fluid in certain things. So certain sentences may carry a minimum sentence or they may carry a, you know, a maximum sentence and there may be scope in between. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but for me, I've looked at the news sometimes and, and, and seen somebody get sentenced for something and think, that, that's so light. Why is that so light? You know, so that's, that seems to me like that's a pretty pretty you know, heinous thing that they've done and, and they should get more time. And then you get somebody else that, that's maybe you know, uh, broke the speed limit a few times or gets absolutely hammered. Now I'm, I'm paraphrasing, generalizing a little bit. What, what happens there, honestly, I think that there's bias comes in. There's bias comes in. It can't not. We're, we all bring our, our biases. We all bring our, our little things that have shaped and influenced in this world, how we look at situations, how we deal with things. But God's judgment isn't biased. 
It's perfect. It's completely perfect. It's the perfect work of separation. You know, there, there, we can't play favorites with God. He's no respecter of persons. Not at all. Not at all. We're going to be judged according to the same perfect standard. And God is an impartial judge. He's a righteous judge. He's a holy judge. He has to be. He has to be. So the unbeliever can't stand before God and say, it's not fair. They can't stand before God and say, you know what? I need a a mistrial here. There's been evidence that's been presented that isn't right or isn't true. They can't look into the character of the judge and get him acquitted. They can't do anything like that. They can't argue against perfect judgment because it's from a perfect God who knows all things, sees all things, records all things, and will address all things. It's the perfect work of separation. There can be no charge leveled at God to say he is corrupt. None of us, none of us are innocent. None of us deserve the grace of God. R.C. Sproul said this, The most violent expression of God's wrath and justice is seen in the cross. If ever a person had room to complain about injustice, it was Jesus. He was the only innocent man to be ever punished by God. If we stagger at the wrath of God, let us stagger at the cross. Here is where our astonishment should be focused. Only one innocent man ever punished by God. None of us, none of us are innocent. None of us are innocent. But there are many today that want to take their chance with God. They want to take their chance. They want to walk their walk. They want to live their life and maybe get to stand before God, to stand in the dock as it were, And when the judgment of God that is perfect is given, they want to stand there and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know that you're God. I know that you hold the universe together. I know that you've created all things. I know you're all powerful. I know you're all knowing. But... You've missed something in your judgment, God. You see, I understand, and I know I can't deny it, the things that you've rolled out, and you've told me about my life, my thoughts, my deeds, my actions. You've, you've put them all there, and I will say that it is, a, it is a big pile. It's a heavy pile. You know, I did think that. I did do that. You know, I, I admit that my mind goes to some depraved places at times. I admit that I, I did that, and, you know, others didn't see it, but... I know that you did. And, you know, on the face of it, it does look quite damning. I've failed your standards, God. Absolutely I have. From the minute I was born to the minute I left this earth, I've transgressed. But you've missed out all the good things that I've done. You've missed out the fact that I've looked after my grandmother. You've missed out the fact that I got that little cat down from from the tree. You know, I give money to animal sanctuaries and I've I've helped at the local hospice. And, you know, I, I, I come to church regularly. Did you know that, God? You know, I've done good things. So, with that, and I know that 
my bad outweighs the good, but there's good in there. So why don't we make a little deal, God? And here's the deal. I'm going to bring my little pile of good works and I'm going to come over here and I'm going to give them to you and you're going to forget about all the bad that I've done. And we'll come up with a deal that I can have eternal life because I've done a few good things. And isn't that what really counts? You know, I made a few mistakes, God, but I'm a good person. And of course, God is going to go, yeah, no problem. You're right. I've missed those good works that you've done. You are a good person. You know, I seen that, and I was saying to Peter up in heaven that, you know, look at him, look at him go up that tree, pulling that little cat down. You know, if he ever gets to heaven, that's going to go a good long way of getting him in there. Is that the way God's going to work? A holy God? A just God? A perfect God? I mean, how would you feel if it was a a judge on the earth that judged a case that was so important to you? Maybe somebody had murdered one of your family members or whatever it may be. And, and, you know, that person's in the dock and you're waiting for justice to be served because you know that they've broke the law. And, and as the sentence is about to be given, the, the, the person that's in the dock says, well, I know that I've killed, I know that I've murdered, but look at the good that I've done. If that judge therefore said, do you know what, I'll take that good into account, let's wipe off the transgression and off you go, it would be outraged. Surely we'd be outraged. Why would we ever expect a perfect God, a perfect judge, the one who knows all things, sees all things, is above all things, to just forget about all that? What type of a holy God is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's an unholy God. That's a God of man's making. That's a figment of our imagination. But there are many that are living their lives today that they'll maybe just, when the time comes, they'll stand before God and they'll do a deal. Or, you know, I do good things, I'm okay, I'll make it. It's not what the God of the Bible reveals about who he is, his standards. We've transgressed, we've fallen, and his work of separation is perfect. John chapter 12, verse 48 says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There's a judgment coming. And it's a perfect one. By the perfect word of God. So we've looked at the perfect work of salvation in the life of the believer. We've looked at the perfect work of separation in the life of the unbeliever. What about the church then this morning? Well, here we have the perfect work of sanctification. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. There is no bad in God. None. None. And when we think about this, that's who we will be like one day. One day, as a believer, as the church, as the body of Christ, we'll be sanctified completely clean. We will have the ability to live our lives pain-free, sin-free, carefree, 
in the greatest possible way. It's the perfect work of sanctification. We're going to be cleansed. Ephesians 5, verse 24. Let's read there. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is the corporate aspect of the church, the body of Christ, that we're going to be sanctified, we're going to be cleansed, we're going to be one day without blemish. Now, the Hebrew word for perfect is found 91 times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is tomim, and it's translated as entire or complete. It's translated as full or undefiled. But the most times it's translated, 44 times, it's translated as without blemish. Without blemish. And this is the perfect work of sanctification that means that the church, the body of Christ, us as believers will be presented to the Lord one day without blemish. And we should take heart in that. We should take heart in it. You know, some days are bad days, right or wrong. Yeah. Some days we have bad days as believers. Some days we walk about like we don't know God at all. We all do it. We've had it. Ups and downs. But the perfect work of sanctification means that one day we will be sinless, we'll be perfect, we'll stand before God, complete, as it were. Philippians 1.6 tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that should be to you this morning. That the perfect work of sanctification means that God will have his way one day. That one day, All the sin, all the suffering, all the struggles that you face in life, trying to live your life for the Lord, will be gone. They'll be done. He'll finish the work that he started. And I'm so thankful for that. That God finishes what he starts. That we don't have a God that gets distracted. That we don't have a God that gets delayed. We have a God that's always on time. That will do what he says he will do. You know, being a husband in the home, being tasked with the DIY, I know that I don't always finish what I start. Sometimes I have no intention of finishing what I start. Sometimes, if I'm honest, if it's confession time, I start it just to get Claire off my back, and then she'll forget about it. But God's not like that. Didn't save you. Isn't sanctifying you just to leave you in the heap? He's going to finish it because it's a perfect work of sanctification. One day, beloved, we're going to be presented to the Lamb spotless, without blemish. That's the perfect work of sanctification in the life of the church. So, what I'm saying this morning, I'm saying simply this His work is perfect 
the perfect work of salvation in the life of the believer. Our redemption is secured once for all, forever. Can't take away from it, can't add to it. Eternal security. It's a perfect work of salvation. And that should get you through every day that you struggle. Every day that you think and you can't hear God's voice, you remember that the work of salvation is perfect. You couldn't earn it. You cannot lose it. You may be doing your best to try and shake it off. But God never lets go because the work of salvation is perfect. For the unbeliever, his perfect work of separation. There can be no cries of corruption from the accused. His judgment is perfect. It's sure. For the church, it's a perfect work of sanctification. As a body, we are being sanctified. We're set apart. We're being cleansed by the washing of water, by the Word. The Word of God is the cleansing agent in the life of the church. That's why the book needs to be opened. It's not secondary in the church service. It's primary in the church service. Individually, we were sanctified, but more importantly, as the bride, the body of Christ, we're going to be presented without blemish. But what about us? What about our work? It sure isn't perfect. We know that. But can it be better? Should it be better? Absolutely. Always. Always. There's always more of God to be had. There's always more of God to experience. God is eternal. He's eternal. You can never exhaust him. Never exhaust him. I like to say that our our reach for God should always extend past our grasp of God. Not to be content where we are in him, but to seek more of him. You know, no matter what you get in this world, you know, what the world offers, and you know, where it's the fancy cars or whatever it may be, the new gadgets and new toys and new houses, the novelty always wears off, doesn't it? It always wears off. You know, it may seem great for a while and then it starts to wear off. Claire cracks up because I change my car all the time. Honestly, I get bored in cars. I just do. I get bored. The novelty wears off. And I've had very fancy cars and for a month or two it, it was great and then I'm like I'm bored with this now the novelty wears off but with God the novelty never wears off in his perfect work of salvation and his perfect work of sanctification as a believer the more you know about God the more he'll amaze you and he works the opposite way the shine doesn't wear off it shines brighter the closer to God you go. So are we moving towards God? Are we looking for what he has for us? I wonder this morning if you come here and you've just forgotten completely about what God's done for you. His perfect work. He saved you. Set you apart. I'm speaking to the believers now. He's given you promises. Let's, let's turn there and we'll close with this this morning. Romans 8. And for those who have been doing the Roman study, or if you've been around me any length of time, in my ministry, you'll, you'll hear me rattle on about this a lot. Romans 8, verse 16. 
And I say this a lot because it, it just amazes me. It amazes me. About what God has done for us and what he's given us. Romans 8 verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. Beloved, just just read that again. And if you're here this morning, you know him as your Savior, you've experienced the perfect work of salvation, then this is a promise for you. This is a promise for you. And God is a promise-keeping God. We're going to look at that tonight, actually. We're going to be dealing with covenants. He's a promise-keeping God. He's going to finish what he started. He's going to deliver this. That You're going to be presented without blemish, and you're going to be joint heirs with Christ. Do you understand what that means? Joint heirs with Christ. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. The King of glory. Came to earth. Saved your souls. So that you could be with him. Not just only that you could be with him. That you could rule with him. That you could be an heir with him. What a promise that is. What privileges we have. And because of that, we should be propelled in our life and in our walk to do better, to act better, to think better, to behave better, to live better. Because his work is perfect. What promises, what privileges we have. Why? Because of his perfect love. How? Because of his perfect work. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Let's pray.